0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Live from New York, I'm Allison Kosick in for Julia Chatterley. This is First Move, and here's your need to know. Crypto crackdown. China brings in tough new measures on cryptocurrency trading and mining. Quad conference, the U.S. brings India, Japan and Australia together to counter China's rise. Supply shortages from chips to petrol to Nike shoes. The global economy feels the crunch. It's Friday, let's make a move. Welcome to First Move. Great to have you with us as we begin winding down a volatile week on the global markets. U.S. stocks look set to pull back after two days of solid gains. A weaker session in Europe, too. Still a lot of mystery surrounding the fate of Chinese property developer Evergrande and whether it's made a key $83 million interest payment. Evergrande shares slid more than 11% in Hong Kong trading today as investors await answers. Evergrande uncertainty putting new pressure on Chinese and Hong Kong shares. China today continued to pump in billions worth of liquidity into its financial system to help banks get through this uncertain time. China's central bank also rattling the crypto world today. It's announced a top to bottom ban on crypto related transactions, an intensification of China's war on virtual currencies. Bitcoin now down, Eight percent on the news. Other cryptocurrencies taking a hit as well with Ethereum, XPR, Litecoin, all down by about 10 percent. Okay, let's get more on our drivers this morning. Claire Sebastian joins me now. Claire, you know, China has already gotten tough on cryptocurrencies, but, you know, the latest statements really take it to another level.
2: Yeah, Alison, effectively, you can still own cryptocurrency in China. You just can't really do anything with it. So let's take a closer look uh, at what they've announced today. The People's Bank of China, along with uh, a suite of other regulators, including uh, the country's main banking regulator, have come out with a statement. They're saying that all virtual currency related business activities are illegal. They include services from overseas virtual currency exchanges. Those are illegal. That's pretty significant uh, because we know that while domestic exchanges have been banned, people have continued to use uh, overseas exchanges to transact. They're saying that they're going to severely crack down on illegal activities, stepping up enforcement. And in a separate statement from the National Development and Reform Commission, they say that they're they're, they're looking towards the orderly exit, the sort of gradual uh, dismantling of mining activities in the country, and that no new mining activities will be permitted. So this is definitely sort of an expansion of what we've seen before. There was a major uh, crackdown in May, which led to the the, the sort of very fast descent of Bitcoin from its its record highs above 60,000. And that was to do with sort of banning transactions and trading uh, from payments and other financial companies also cracking down uh, on mining. So they're expanding that. You can still own them. You just can't do anything with them. It's causing a lot of turmoil. In the markets, not only for virtual currencies, but but stocks that are related to that. If you look at uh, Robin Hood, which gets about forty percent of its revenues from from cryptocurrency trading, that's uh, down pre market. So is Coinbase. So definitely some concerns about this in the market today, Alison. Yeah, seeing major knock
1: on with this uh, with these statements. You know, a lot of Bitcoin mining was done in China. I'm curious what you think about what China's latest crackdown of crypto t- cryptocurrency could mean for the future of crypto.
2: Yeah, so this is ha- this is definitely happening gradually. I mean, China has been cracking down on cryptocurrencies really uh, for the best part of a decade uh, since they since they became popular in the country. So we've seen a gradual shifting of the landscape. If you look at the the, the data that comes out from the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance in January of 2020, more than seventy percent of what's called the hash rate of Bitcoin, that's roughly correlated with the amount of mining was coming from China. In the latest reading in March this year, that was down to 46%. And over the same period, the U.S. has gone from about 4.5% to 16%. So you can see that the landscape is shifting. Mining is moving out of China. Uh, But big picture here, while China is very important... Uh, The the future of crypto, I think, is going to rest on what we're seeing, the the tug of war between the ever accelerating mainstream adoption. Just this week, for example, we've seen Twitter announce that people can tip creators using Bitcoin and the regulation, which is happening not only in China, but of course, with an even greater intensity and ever increasing intensity in the United States, Alison.
1: Yeah, call it a push and pull happening. Thank you so much, Claire Sebastian. In Washington, President Biden is set to host his first in-person Quad Summit. The leaders of Japan, Australia, India and the United States are expected to discuss growing challenges posed by China in the Indo-Pacific region. CNN White House correspondent John Harwood joins me now. John, what do you think is going to come out of this meeting?
3: not sure anything concrete's going to come out of it beyond some uh, smaller scale programs, uh, uh, educational exchanges, some uh, announcements on 5G, uh, uh, cooperative work between the two countries. But more broadly, this is part of the uh, across the board effort to counter a rising China that President Biden has put at the center of his foreign policy. We saw it with the uh, U.S., U.K., Australia submarine deal. Uh, uh, President Biden pursued that at the risk of ruffling the feathers of France. Uh, that actually happened. France was very upset about it. But Joe Biden placed a high priority. Uh, we heard that throughout his speech at the U.N. General Assembly, uh, which was laced through with uh, efforts to, uh, for the United States uh, on behalf of other uh, advanced industrial democracies to show that their style of government works in contrast to that of authoritarian governments like China. And the Quad is part of that. It's not a military uh, uh, alliance, but it is uh, part of a diplomatic economic alliance. Uh, Australia and Japan were part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership that had been negotiated by President Obama. President Trump uh, pulled out of that. Joe Biden has not uh, attempted to rejoin it. But uh, across the board, economically, diplomatically, in national security, uh, the United States under Joe Biden is going to attempt to stand up to China. And that's what this meeting's about.
1: President Biden expected to speak about COVID later. Do you know anything about that?
3: Well, we expect that he's gonna say, Allison, that uh, uh, the booster uh, program is rolling out. We we heard from CDC Director Walensky this morning saying that she uh, overruled an advisory committee, uh, is recommending a wider uh, group of people to be eligible for booster shots. Uh, but the administration, which uh, began in August to point toward a booster rollout in September is now executing that. Uh, It applies to the Pfizer vaccine. We expect the uh, Moderna to come later on, but uh, while the United States attempts to uh, uh, supply vaccine for the rest of the world, a limited supply. We heard that at the United Nations from President Biden. He's uh, getting more aggressive within the United States to try to both uh, give booster shots to uh, expand protection for people who've already been vaccinated and also expand vaccinations for those who've been resisting so far.
1: Okay, John Harwood at the White House, thanks so much. Nike is the latest company to warn that global supply chain shortages will hurt sales. Countless businesses are struggling to meet demand as economies get going again. Factory lockdowns have put production on hold and now the costs of raw materials and shipping are surging. Let's bring in Matt Egan. Matt, I know uh, the Biden administration now is considering invoking a Cold War era national security law known as the Defense Production Act to address this chip shortage.
4: Yeah, Allison, uh, that's right. Listen, supply chains around the world are a hot mess right now. And one of the biggest issues is this global shortage of computer chips, which are a key component for everything from um, cars and electronics to Pelotons, pretty much anything that has an on off switch. And this shortage of computer chips has forced the auto companies to slash production. There's a new estimate out that. Global auto companies are going to lose $210 billion in sales um, this year alone. And so the Biden administration is encouraging Congress to pass new legislation that would authorize $52 billion to scale up domestic production of semiconductors and research. But that's going to take a long time, uh, even if it gets through Congress. Uh, In the meantime, Biden officials are encouraging Uh, the semiconductor industry, to share more information with the federal government about their intricate supply chains. The hope is that they can try to spot some of these bottlenecks before they emerge. Now, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo, she told me that uh, they're asking nicely for now, but that if industry officials don't comply, they're going to have to take a tougher stance. And she's referring to invoking the Cold War era Defense Production Act, which could compel companies to share more information I also asked the Commerce Secretary how long these shortages are going to last. Here's what she said.
0: I think we're in this for a while.
5: I I believe our efforts are already making a difference. Things are a little bit better than they were. So I think we will start to see incremental improvement uh, over the next six to 12 months. Honestly, though, I think we're going to be struggling with it well into next year until we can really um, smooth out some of these bottlenecks. It's not going to be this bad, but uh, I think it won't be back to quote unquote normal for, you know, well into 2022.
4: Now, Intel's CEO has said that these shortages could last into 2023, and the Commerce Secretary conceded to me that that's possible. Allison, all of this means higher prices and fewer options are here to stay.
1: And a lot of patience from consumers. Matt Egan, thanks so much. Thank you. And these are the stories making headlines around the world. The U.S. says it will continue to deport Haitian nationals at the Texas border on a regular basis. Officials say since Sunday they've flown close to 2,000 Haitians back home on 17 repatriation flights. Thousands more remain stranded. Mexican officials are urging Haitians to give up and request asylum in Mexico or Central America. The climate crisis is a key issue for many Germans heading to the polls on Sunday. This election follows a summer of deadly flash flooding in Germany and wildfires elsewhere in the region. CNN's Fred Pleikin takes a look at where the candidates stand on environmental issues.
6: It was a moment when the global climate emergency became a deadly serious issue for Germany. Flash flooding this summer in the country's west, killing dozens and destroying entire towns. The moment the environment became one of Germany's most pressing concerns,
0: says Sven Hütte from Berlin's Free University. We've seen now a steady rise, especially after the floods now in summer, where we're back to more or less 50 percent, saying climate is really the top issue
6: an issue that can make and break political campaigns. Christian Democratic candidate Armin Laschet dropped severely in the polls when he was caught laughing on camera while the German president spoke to flood victims. He later apologized for the incident. Meanwhile, the Green Party topped the polls for a while and is still set for a strong showing with its strong environmental agenda.
7: For these children...
6: And for the children,
2: for those of you who are 17, 20, it makes a massive difference who gets to lead this country in the future.
6: Of course, the environment hasn't suddenly become a topic for Germans. One of the largest industrial nations in the world with a massive thirst for energy, Germany has long debated a fundamental question, how to maintain the economy without destroying the ecology. Social Democratic frontrunner Olaf Scholz says the time to act is now.
8: 250 years of... uh Economic development in our country, of industrial development, is based on the use of fossils. If we will change this in 25 years, this is really a big process.
6: Climate activists have become more vocal in recent years, spurned by a global movement to tackle man-made climate change. Calling for an end to diesel and gasoline-powered cars and polluting industries, the bedrock of Germany's economy. Conservative candidate Amin Laschet says his party wants to foster innovation to help curb greenhouse gases. For our climate policies, we want to invest in innovation and market economy mechanisms, which in our opinion promise more than all the bans the SPD and Greens are planning, Laschet recently said. In the 16 years that Angela Merkel governed Germany, the country enacted some environmental policies like ditching nuclear energy and attempting to move towards renewables. In a recent news conference, though, Merkel acknowledged not enough has been done to fight climate change in Germany. But she says that goes for many other countries
9: as well. Her biggest flaw is knowing all about the climate crisis and not doing anything uh, what has to be done. That
6: difficult task is now left to Merkel's successor as the German public is increasingly making clear it wants action on climate change without further delay.
1: And CNN's Fred Pleiken joins us now from Berlin. Fred, what are you hearing from voters as Election Day approaches?
6: Well, it it really is quite interesting because I I don't think that the German public has been this mobilized, this politically mobilized, uh, really over the past, I would say, eight or maybe even ten years. I mean, the past couple of elections, it was always pretty clear that Angela Merkel was going to win, but right now they really are... Very much in new territory, and I think one of the most interesting things that you're seeing is that the heir apparent to Angela Merkel, Armin Laschet, who we just saw in that report, he's currently not in first place. He's in second place currently. There were some unforced errors, um, and the Social Democratic candidate, who's from the rival party, he's actually in first place. And his big shtick is the big thing that he's saying is that. He should be the chancellor because he's the most like Angela Merkel. So what they're essentially saying is that is the continuity uh, that is there. Uh, and that's the reason why they're scoring quite high in the polls. But I think the really interesting thing about this election, this is the first time that I've seen this in Germany at all, Allison is the fact that you cannot become chancellor here in this country unless you have a strong green agenda. That's something that we've seen more so in this election than ever before. The voters here are demanding of German politicians that there needs to be and of course, that is saying something, considering that this is one of the biggest industrial economies in the world. The auto sector, heavy industry sector, a big thirst for energy. But Germans are saying they want that to move more towards renewable energy. And they certainly want that movement to be very fast. And, and really, what we've heard today here from people on the ground in the past couple of days, at the many campaign events uh, that we were at, is we were hearing from people uh, that they don't think that this is something that can be done with any sort of delay. They believe that this is really one of the most pressing issues and that certainly is saying a lot considering this country has just gone through the coronavirus uh, pandemic that also a big issue but they really are saying the environment around 50 percent of germans say that is really one of the top issues for them and and maintaining the wealth of the society but at the same time making germany green that really is one of the core issues probably the core issue in this election campaign
1: That's interesting how you mentioned how he has a shtick that seems to be resonating. Uh, I'll put that aside for a moment. Very quickly, what are you expecting for turnout?
6: Mm. I think turnout is going to be fairly high. I mean, uh, as we've seen with the rallies that have been going on from the candidates. It's interesting to see that there's no candidate, there's no party that really is topping all the others. Normally the strongest party in German parliament would have somewhere between maybe 35 or 40% of the vote. Now we're expecting that the top party is gonna have maybe 25% of the vote. And still it does seem as though many people are going to come out. Part of that is to do with the fact that the Green Party is probably gonna have the best showing that it ever has had in a, a, a German election. Also because the electorate is somewhat more fractured than it was in the past. But right now, from what we're seeing, um, a lot of people are getting involved in politics. A lot of people are very interested in the political situation. It is a very, very close race. And I think one of the interesting thing also for, for international viewers, I think it's very important also to point out, all three of the main candidates who are vying to become chancellor the green party candidate the social democratic candidate the christian democratic candidate all of them uh, are saying that germany needs to remain very strong in the european union needs to also remain a very strong partner in nato and a very strong partner to the united states uh, as well so despite the fact that you do have some sort of fracture you have a lot of fracturing in the german electorate those are still seem to be bedrock positions that by far the majority of the political scene here in Germany supports, but also the population as well, Alison.
1: Fred Pleiken in Berlin, thanks so much for all that great context. Still to come on First Move, it's not just Germany focusing on the climate this weekend. Global Citizen hosting a concert to highlight the crisis, featuring performers from J-Lo to Andrea Bocelli. Before that, with no resolution in sight for Evergrande, we take a look at what could unfold next week. Welcome back to First Move. I'm Allison Kosick, live from New York, where the bulls are in retreat after two days of solid gains. Tech, tech looks to be set for the biggest losses in the early going. Uh, crypto-related stocks are under pressure after China announced a ban on crypto transactions. Shares of firms that offer crypto trading like Coinbase, Square and Robinhood are falling in the pre-market amid the uncertainty. U.S. stocks are coming into today's session, sporting modest gains for the week. Not too shabby given the 1.7 percent drop we saw on Monday, driven by fears of an ever-grand default. Next week, will bring a fresh set of challenges. Third quarter trading ends on Thursday. Uh, the U.S. government could shut down on Friday. The debt ceiling drama, that remains unresolved. And of course, the Fed remains on track to begin cutting stimulus as soon as November. U.S. bond yields have risen this week as investors anticipate less Fed economic support. Shares of Evergrande fell more than 11% in Hong Kong without any update from the company on whether it made a dollar bond interest payment that was due yesterday. The fate of the real estate giant remains up in the air as another big interest payment is due next week. Joining me now, Teresa Kong. She's the head of fixed income and portfolio manager at Matthews Asia. Great to see you. Thank you. So it appears that Evergrande missed this big interest payment owed to bondholders. And although there's a a grace period of 30 days on this first bond payment, how do you see this playing out in the long term?
10: Well, I think it's really important for the Chinese government to talk and to actually guide the market in terms of What is actually doing we all know that the beijing government has already appointed the guangdong provincial government to act as facilitator so i think it's really important for the chinese government to actually say that we're working very closely with both the company as well as all of the stakeholders and their advisors to come to some type of an orderly restructuring and i think that would go a long ways in rebuilding confidence
1: so you're saying communication is key We're not getting much communication. So what do you think would be a sign that the situation with Evergrande is not being managed or could be spinning out of control?
10: Well, I think greater silence. I actually believe that, you know, information is leaking. So for example, we we see signs that there's already a prioritization, right? So first and foremost, they need to pay all of the homeowners who've already made their deposits, right? They need to deliver those homes. Second on the list is probably going to be people who bought their wealth management products. These are moms and pops who are retirees who really thought of these as risk-free or quite risk-less assets. And probably last in line would be, you know, the onshore bondholders, and then lastly, the offshore bondholders, who are institutional investors who actually clipped a double-digit coupon, you know, to buy these bonds. And so, there is already some of this, already discounted in the markets with these bonds trading around 25 cents on a dollar. So I I think it's just important for the government to be much more transparent because news is already coming out.
1: What about the the talk about possibly nationalizing the company?
10: Well, I think that's certainly a possibility. I can certainly foresee a scenario in which the Chinese government appoints several of the largest SOE builders. Mm -hmm. So these are large companies who actually will have the appetite and the balance sheet to take parts of Evergrande. And then as as to the other businesses that Evergrande has, I think there are actually bidders. Mm -hmm. I think the problem right now is the bid offer spread, i.e. there are companies out there who are vultures, who are smelling the blood and -hmm. know that they can probably buy this very cheaply. But if you buy it, at, at, if Evergrande sells it at too cheap of a price, then this liquidity issue can actually turn into a solvency Mm -hmm. issue. And that's not what we want right now.
1: I want to get your opinion on what's happening uh, as we heard today about the crackdown in cryptocurrency from the Chinese government. Do you think the recent policies will wind up hurting the Chinese
10: economy? Well, I think we should need to step back and look at the big picture. China has capital controls. What that means is that most of the transactions actually have, require some type of a physical transaction. So if I pay two, um, I will need money to actually settle that transaction. Crypto, you know, exists in a completely different realm. It is deregulated, it is decentralized, and it is anonymous. And for the Chinese government, it's very important that they can actually see all these transactions. So they want crypto to be regulated, they want it centralized, and they want it identified. And this is really orthogonal or antagonistic to what the Chinese government actually needs. And the Chinese government is actually managing a a rather... uh, delicate cardiovascular system in a way right the financial system has money coming in and coming out and so i think what they're trying to do is just to ensure the overall functioning of the financial system without unnecessarily and unmonitored types of flows going out or into the country okay teresa
1: kong thanks for your great perspective thanks for coming on the show thank you for having me and you're watching first move the market open is next And welcome back to First Move. There you have the opening bell on Wall Street. And U.S. stocks are up and running on this last trading day of the week. As expected, we've got a weaker open on Wall Street amid a whole host of China-related uncertainties, including the still ongoing Evergrande drama, Beijing's fresh crackdown on uh, cryptocurrency transactions as well. Bitcoin currently down about 8 percent. Other major cryptocurrencies, they're selling off as well. Tesla and MicroStrategy, two firms that have invested lots of corporate cash into Bitcoin, they are also under pressure. Nike shares are trading lower too. The sports apparel giant is warning on revenues, citing supply chain bottlenecks, labor shortages and other challenges that have popped up as economies reopen after lockdowns. On Sunday, Germany votes for a new government. For the first time in 16 years, Chancellor Angela Merkel will not be at its helm. She's stepping down after four terms, and the race to succeed her is too close to call. The center-left SPD currently has a small lead over her party, the CDU. The Greens are also polling strongly. Joining me now is Karsten Nickel. He's the managing director at Teneo, and he joins me live. Great to see you.
9: Great to see you. Hello.
1: Hello. So now it's time to look beyond a Merkel chancellery. How are you viewing this election? It's just days away.
9: Yeah, it's obviously a watershed moment um, for for German politics and beyond that, really um, for European politics after 16 years of this, you know, stability, continuity and election after election being fairly predictable in their outcomes. This time, as you just said, um, I think we're still looking at multiple scenarios here for coalition formation. And that might well take a couple of weeks and perhaps even months um, for the next chancellor to cobble together um, a government. So I think all eyes will be on that from the European side, because it's very clear that uh, in the end, the new German chancellor will be looked at fairly soon for providing leadership in Europe as well.
1: You know, Merkel is hugely popular among the German voters, but her party, the CDU, is struggling. Why is her popularity not transferring over?
9: Well, I think the shortest possible answer is because she's not running anymore. Um, and, um, you know, if a party has been in power um, for such a long time, one of the, I would say, iron rules of, of, uh, of German politics is you only survive at the chancellery for such a long time if you manage to get rid um, of your most important, um, you know, competitors within your own party. Angela Merkel has been extremely successful in that, but obviously there's a price to pay. Uh, in terms of her political party, after her sixteen years at the Chancellery, I and that is that the party seems a little bit exhausted mm-hmm. in terms of program as well as personnel.
1: What do you think are the key economic consequences of this election? Do you think the outcome could, you know, likely change the outlook for the German economy?
9: Yeah, there's a lot of expectation that a center-left SPD chancellor would start, you know, spending big, investing, and most importantly, uh, working towards closer fiscal financial integration in the eurozone. I'm fairly skeptical of that because, as I said before, we're looking at a coalition government and some of the uh, smaller partners that will likely be part of that next government um, are pretty pro austerity, if you like. So overall, I think we're looking at a greater deal of continuity than some in Europe would like to see.
1: Uh, what about politically? How could the outcome of the vote shape you know, how Germany and the wider European Union deal with allies like the United States and even rivals like Russia and China? Also, is there a new opportunity there?
9: Yeah, I think, um, you know, overall on the foreign policy front, I would, I would actually expect a large degree of continuity. I think what will be felt here, at least in the first couple of months, let's say, is the absence of Angela Merkel personally, because let's make no mistake, um, she has been a formidable um, crisis manager. There's been debate about, you know, her lack of an overall vision, um, you know, proactive political program for Europe and for Germany, all of that granted, but as a crisis manager on the world stage, the relationship with President Donald Trump, um, much more complicated relations with Russia and China. Uh, she's been superb in handling that. And I think the pressure um, on her successor uh, to quickly live up to that historical re- record will be will be massive.
1: All right, Karsten Nickel, Managing Director of Teneo. thanks for all of your analysis. Thank you. And don't miss CNN's special live coverage of the German federal elections over the weekend. Find out who will be next to lead Europe's biggest economy. Join Hala Gurrani, Fred Pleiken, and Salma Abdulaziz as they bring us the latest. Sunday, just before 12 p.m. Eastern and 5 p.m. in London, right here on CNN. Coming up after the break, the music event aimed at changing the world for the better. The classical pianist Long Long is here to talk about Global Citizen. Don't miss it. BTS, Jennifer Lopez, Ed Sheeran, and Metallica. Just about every music taste will be catered to this weekend at the Global Music Event to defend the planet and defeat poverty. Global Citizen Live will feature performances on six continents, and the goals are broad. As well as tackling climate and poverty, the organizers are highlighting the pandemic and inequality. They're calling on world leaders to provide one billion vaccinations for the world's poorest and one billion trees to tackle rising emissions and enough meals to feed the 41 million people who are facing famine for the next year. Hugh Evans is CEO of Global Citizen, and we're also joined by the renowned concert pianist Long Long, who's taking part. He's considered by many to be one of the most accomplished classical musicians of modern times. Hello to both of you, and thanks for joining us. Hugh, I'm going to start with you. you. I'm going to start with you and the goals for Global Citizen. Are you anticipating meeting those goals with this fantastic concert?
11: Well, firstly, thank you so much for having Lang Lang and I on your program today. Really, Global Citizen Live is focused on those two issues of defending the planet and defeating poverty. Firstly, on defending the planet, we know that we need the wealthiest nations to fulfill their pledge to commit the $100 billion necessary to the Global Climate Fund to help the poorest nations adapt to the devastating effects of of climate change. Now, we saw the Biden administration announce at the UN General Assembly just a few days ago, they were going to double their commitment to that fund. But ultimately, that won't be fulfilled unless Congress follow through. And just a few days after Global Citizen this weekend, Congress will be meeting. And so this is really a campaign that we're calling on called Code Red, Congress, to encourage the U.S. Congress to step up with the most ambitious climate bill ever. The second objective we're focused on, as you mentioned, is really the issue of the hunger crisis. There are 41 million people on the brink of starvation in the Horn of Africa. And this is an area currently where the G7 nations have not been stepping up. And I think that in 2021, it is absolutely devastating that there would be anyone literally on the brink of starvation on this planet. So we need all G7 nations to provide the World Food Program with the $6 billion necessary to abate that urgent food security challenge.
1: Long, long to you. You know, it's often said music unites people, but I'm wondering what your thoughts are. Is music enough to motivate people and move them to help change some of the issues uh, that, of global citizens' goals that Hugh just talked about?
12: Absolutely. First of all, uh, thank you for having me. And I'm really grateful to Hugh to invite me for this magnificent, great cause of uh, bringing the world together, particularly from the last two years has been very difficult for all of us. And I think music always unite our heart and heal our heart. And through those incredible music songs and music arrangement for the pianos, for the other instrument, I believe that tomorrow we will reach a new point uh, for humanity and also to, uh, to have the more love and passion uh, to our friends all over the world.
1: Hugh, I know there's a lot of issues that you list there. Do you think there's a risk of the message being lost?
11: I think ultimately our message is really clear. It's about defending the planet, defeating poverty. When you're talking about defending the planet, you've got to make sure that you ultimately stop future carbon emissions and also support nature-based solutions to remove carbon from the atmosphere. And right now to defeat poverty, it's really focused on the hunger crisis. Those are the two issues we want everyone to focus on because ultimately those are the most pressing challenges facing humanity at this moment.
1: Long Long, how excited are you to be sort of sharing stages with some of these big acts, these big names? Uh, You're not too shabby yourself, by the way.
12: I mean, it's incredible to be part of this incredible concert, and I still remember last year when we did a, uh, the uh, online concert all over the world. That was so exciting. Uh, we were putting every segments uh, being you know uh, performed together in the end. That was incredible. And this year, I, I, I'm so excited to see some of my favorite artists: Coldplay, Billie Eilish, and uh, and tomorrow I will also play uh, one of my favorite songs. Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, and uh, this is going to be my first time playing kind of like a piano concerto style. So I'm practicing pretty hard today, and later we have a, a, another rehearsal uh, right on the Central Park. Uh, so uh, I'm quite excited to play uh, this piece.
1: I can't wait to hear it. I will definitely be watching. You know, which reminds me, I want to ask you this. I mean, obviously you're accomplished in your own right. But have you ever thought of a collaboration with another pop star, another musician, any collaborations in your future?
12: Absolutely, that would be amazing. You know, I mean, in a past, who would you like to I'd collaborate great... with? Uh, the next one, I mean, it would be great. With, uh, uh I think, Billie Eilish or Tyler Swift. It would be great.
1: <laughs> and Hugh, back to you. I just want to make it clear that so your concert doesn't necessarily ask for money. What is it asking people who are watching that this isn't this is necessarily just a, it's not a celebration. It is an entertainment event, though. How do you redirect people to the real mission of this event?
11: Yeah, the thing that makes Global Citizen unique is that we don't want your money. We want you to take action because we know that no amount of black tie gala dinners will ever be enough to solve the $350 billion a year challenge that is extreme poverty. So instead, we want you to go to globalcitizen.org or download the Global Citizen app and start taking action. Sign a petition, send a tweet, make a phone call to your member of Congress use those collective actions of millions of global citizens around the world to call on world leaders to make the multi-billion dollar pledges necessary to address the hunger crisis and ultimately also address the climate crisis. That's the power of global citizens working together. It's a movement of citizens calling on world leaders in unison to create systemic change.
1: Long long, what's your message to everybody who's gonna be involved in watching?
12: Uh, I really hope that everyone, we will really taking care of, you know, this cause, which is uh, fighting the poverty and making our uh, planet much better place. Um, and this is, you know, our passion and our love for tomorrow's uh, message. And I hope everyone will unite for tomorrow.
1: Well, I'm excited to watch. Thanks so much, Longlong and Hugh Evans, CEO of Global Citizen. Great to talk with you both.
12: Thank, Thank you. you so much. Fun. Fun.
1: You got it. Just in China's HNA Group says its chairman and CEO have been taken by police for suspected criminal offenses. The company was placed in bankruptcy administration in February. The company which was one of China's biggest conglomerates says HNA Group and its subsidiaries are operating in a stable and orderly manner with restructuring work moving forward in accordance with law. After the break, ahead of a key decision on her conservatorship, a CNN special. Britney Spears, Battle for Freedom. Details coming up. Welcome back. Leaders and policymakers in the oil and gas industry are trying to figure out how to keep delivering energy while also helping make the transformation to a cleaner environment. Emerging technology can help. Elena Yokos has the story for today's episode of Think Big.
7: AI powered pumps, cutting edge air compression systems, CO2 management software. These are some of the technologies shaping the future of energy. Ministers, top CEOs and leaders in the oil and gas industry have gathered here at the Gas Tech Conference in Dubai to discuss ideas and innovations that will revolutionize the industry over the next decade. And there is one common goal, becoming sustainable while producing the energy the world wants and needs. Houston-based Baker Hughes is at the forefront of tech innovation in the energy sector. CEO Lorenzo Simonelli tells me more about this big idea.
8: The next big thing in the energy industry is really about reducing emissions and not fuel sources. And that's the technology that we're focused on at Baker Hughes as an energy technology company.
7: So let's talk about the exciting technologies. You're deploying robotics and AI technologies as well. Uh, How is that going to help companies become more sustainable?
8: I'll give you an interesting stat. If you just uh, make the industry 10% more efficient by deploying technologies that we produce, such as Flare IQ, you can actually reduce half a gigaton of emissions, CO2 emissions, and that's 5% of the target towards the Paris Accord.
7: I want to talk about Flare IQ because um, we see a lot of gas flaring. How do you solve this problem? Because firstly, you're wasting gas, right? And secondly, it's really bad for the environment.
8: You are wasting gas, which is a huge shame. And so we've developed a technology called Flare IQ. And if you look at a flare stack, it runs at an efficiency of about 70%, which means you've got emissions. Being flared an incremental 30%. By deploying flare IQ, we're able to increase the efficiency of that stack from 70 to 98%.
7: In terms of the more mature oil-producing nations, specifically in the Middle East, what kind of demand are you seeing? I mean, are there what kind of conversations are you having behind closed doors?
8: A number of the major companies are looking at hydrogen clusters, they're looking at the way to develop CCUS. They're actually eliminating flaring, so there's a lot of activity, and I think also during this conference, you're hearing more and more about how companies are moving forward, and also the transfer from coal to natural gas. Natural gas is one of the ways in which we can transition, but it's also a destination fuel, and we're very optimistic with the outlook of gas.
1: A court hearing next week could determine the fate of the conservatorship that has controlled Britney Spears' life and money for more than a decade. The pop star's tireless fight for her freedom is the subject of a new CNN special report this weekend. Here's a preview.
7: Britney's struggle in the national spotlight also raises important questions about how the legal system and society treat women with mental health issues. We do have some examples of men, of male celebrities, who have, in paparazzi pictures and cell phone video, appeared unhinged.
1: Erratic. Erratically, at times. Women are always judged by a higher standard. and I think most of us wonder, what would the narrative look like if she wasn't
7: a woman? Sylvia Dutkevich is a psychotherapist who specializes in the impact of gender-based violence and post-traumatic stress disorder on mental health.
1: There's a voyeuristic component to celebrities, and especially to this case. <laughs> it's important to keep in mind that this is a person, that this is someone's life, and that the way we treat her actually says something about ourselves, about our society. Toxic Britney Spears' battle for freedom is reported by our colleagues Alison Camerata and Chloe Milos. And Chloe joins me now. Chloe, great to see you, because I know that you have followed Britney's story for a very long time. I also know you cannot reveal everything about this special, but tell us what you can. Tell us what surprised you.
5: Hey, Allison, it's so good to see you and to be back in the studio. Um, You know, I have been covering Britney Spears's. Long legal battle for the last few years and I feel like every day people are asking me questions about Britney and I you know I attend these court hearings um, often in LA and I felt like I wanted to with Allison put everything in one place for everyone and I think that it's a look back at her rise to fame and her childhood, her family dynamics, but you're also gonna hear from people who worked with Britney who have never spoken out before. You're also gonna hear from celebrities who were targeted by the paparazzi in the early 2000s, the same time that Britney is you know, shaving her head in front of the paparazzi, relentlessly pursued. And I think that it's a moment of reflection for journalists, for those of us that consume uh, this type of news to think, wow, You know, do we owe some apologies to people also outside of Britney um, that, you know, we all contributed to this situation that Britney is in now? And also, how has
1: this conservatorship gone on for 13 years? So we're going to dig into that as well. Yeah, that is that is the top question many of us have on our minds. You mentioned celebrities. Um, I know the special includes some new interviews uh, with actors Misha Barton and Rosie O'Donnell. Explain to me why those matter.
5: Well, Misha Barton was, you know, the it girl in the early 2000s. She had a show on the OC and, you know, it was it was our version of 90210. If you guys have seen that show and she was hounded by the paparazzi and a lot of negative press about her when she was partying, like just most girls in their late teens, early 20s were. And there's a big parallel between her and Britney Spears there. And she was dragged by many outlets and splashed across magazine covers during her most vulnerable moments. And she's going to talk about what that was like and how hard it has been to rebuild her life uh, since all of those headlines um, and her thoughts about what's going on with Britney. Now, when it comes to Rosie O'Donnell, I don't think that many people realize that Rosie was the first TV talk show host to sit down with Britney. And I mean, that means Rosie was there for the beginning. And Rosie even went on tour with Britney and did a TV special with her. She's interviewed her dozens of times. um, And they were very close. Rosie talks about being this like maternal force in Britney's life. And you're going to hear about Rosie's thoughts on what's happened to Britney and whether or not she's talked to Britney uh, in the years since she's been under this conservatorship.
1: All right, so we'll mark our calendars, uh, the special tomorrow, and then there's a hearing on Wednesday in the conservator case. Special's Um,
5: on Sunday. Sunday. Yeah,
1: excuse me, Sunday. See, my days are all messed up. Thank you. The special is (laughs) on Sunday. Sunday, 8 (laughs) p.m. 8 p.m. There you go. Chloe, Chloe Milos, thanks so much. Thank you. Okay we'll put up a banner, I guess, of oh, the CNN special. Once again, airs on Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 a.m. in London. And that's it for the show. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Kosick. Connect the World with Becky Anderson is next. Have a great weekend.